PSA. We've got a new show on the Ringer Podcast Network produced in partnership with Major Domo Media. Chef and co-founder of Momofoku, Dave Chang, has joined the Ringer family with his new show, The Dave Chang Show. Every week, he'll discuss the culinary world, what it's been like launching his new restaurant, Major Domo, and more. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, on to Westworld. Glory. Valley Beyond. Feels like everyone's got a different name for it, but they're all bound for the same destination. Doesn't matter what you call it, I know we're going to find that. An old friend was foolish enough to show me long ago. And it's not a place. It's a weapon. Dead isn't what it used to be! Welcome to Westworld, the Recapables, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm your host, David Shoemaker. Today we're talking Season 2, Episode 2, Reunion. We're doing this before airing without the benefit of subtitles or Reddit groupthink or a safety net. In this episode, we get a flashback fest, Dolores starting her journey to the valley beyond, and the man in black playing the game. I am joined this week for my laboratory debriefing by the holder of the Recapables Championship belt, Ringer staff writer slash TV critic Allison Herman, and... As always, I'm not sure if he's a friend given the orientation at all. Danny Heifetz, how are you guys doing this week? Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? (laughs) (laughs) After this episode, I am questioning just about everything. It's a very, very different episode. But before I get into it, Allison, what is your tweet length review of this episode? Westworld is not a show that loves telling you the answers to anything. (laughs) But it sure does love telling you what questions to ask. (laughs) That is Beautiful. I mean, and, it's, and that was almost like a line from Westworld because, you, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it, in it, that it doesn't really mean anything, exactly. but it sounds really profound. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> um, this was a I will say from the from the few people at the Ringer office who watched this episode, a very divisive episode of Westworld. My uh, positive spin reading of everything was that it was it was trying very hard to be sort of the opposite of the of the season premiere. Uh, it, it felt different. In both in like film quality and and you know direction, uh, but also the parts of the of the narrative that they're giving us. This is everything we really weren't getting in episode one. Before we get into what we think about the episode, let me tell you everything that happened in reunion. We begin way 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 back with Arnold and Dolores in a suite overlooking a big city in China or someplace who uses Chinese signage, and the city is full of splendor. We hear that a lot. Ford comes in to get Dolores, but Arnold says, nope, use the other girl, and then he takes Dolores on a tour of his new home, where she waxes philosophical, and he says he'll bring her back someday, but even he doesn't quite believe it. Then, in a nightclub, Logan gets a pitch from the Argos Initiative about investing in Westworld. They take him to a cocktail party where, surprise, everybody's a host. Logan is in, and they seal the deal in a traditional corporate contractual orgy. Of course, if you want my full endorsement, you're gonna have to prove it. Sometime later, Mr. James Delos, we can call him Jim, arrives at Westworld to get a sales pitch from William, who's back from his first journey there and wants Delos to invest. Jim doesn't want to spend money on an amusement park, but William goes full Zuckerberg. It's about the guests and their data. Raw data, if you get me. Fast forward to James Delos' retirement party, where Dolores is playing piano. Jim isn't happy to be going, but apparently he's sick. And by the way, he hates fucking Chopin. 
Dolores goes onto the patio and meets a strung out Logan who says the world is ending more or less. Do you want to know what they're really celebrating up there? That, darling, is the sound of fools fiddling while the whole fucking species starts to burn. Back in the semi-present, in the host refurbishment center under Westworld, the Delos dude that Angela spared last week runs in and lets them know for the first time that the hosts have taken over. Dolores, Teddy, and Angela storm in, and the Delos dude says, you don't know what you're up against, and Dolores says, bro, have you been watching the flashbacks? Teddy reads an iPad and learns about how he's been treated in the labs and flips out at the lab tech, and then Dolores has the tech bring a dead confederale back to life because they're going to need an army to take on Delos. On their way to the rest of the confederales, Dolores and company cross paths with Maven company, and even though they have different objectives, they're both on the side of the host, so they go their separate ways without incident for now, but with some epic good versus evil posturing. Dolores finds the Confederales and their leader, Major Craddock. He doesn't much respect Dolores, so Teddy and Angela shoot them all dead, and then the tech brings Craddock back to life, and Dolores lets him know who's in charge now. You're right. We have toiled in God's service long enough. So I killed him. If you want to get to glory, you won't be looking for his favor. You'll need mine. The man in black rides up on his old pal, Lawrence, who's presently strung up by the Pardue brothers. William manages to kill them all and then frees Lawrence and they go to a saloon to get a magical med pack and man in black explains Westworld to Lawrence. But there's a catch. The whole thing is going down in flames and they're all going to end up dead. They embark on a quest, three days ride due west to the uh, pearly gates or something. And then do they decide to take the pariah route? Or should I say Santa Paria? When they get there, they meet a band of outlaws led by El Lazo, who used to be Lawrence, but is now Giancarlo Esposito. Man in Black tries to recruit the posse for his game, but El Lazo just wants to talk about stakes, literal stakes that hold elephants in place. And when Man in Black demands they come with him to the place of judgment, they all commit ritual suicide because apparently Ford has become music and is controlling everything. Fuck you, Robert. At the end, we're flashing back with William and Dolores, who are having a creepy debriefing, except it's William giving a villain's monologue about how he was dumb to ever love Dolores and how all the Westworld goers and humanity writ large are idiots. He takes her to a site where he's building something important. And then flash forward to Dolores and Teddy approaching the Confederale Fort, where they talk about glory or the valley beyond, which Dolores says is not a place, it's a weapon. All right. That was everything that happened. This was a, in a lot of ways, a pretty concise episode. We had three timelines jumping back and forth, but we didn't have the entire, we had no Bernard, we had no Charlotte, we had very, very little Maeve, but it, there was still a lot. I mean, you mentioned that it's the opposite of last week's episode in a lot of ways. I think for me, that was kind of a negative. I actually really enjoyed the premiere. I did I'm, too. I did too. One of the things that really struck me watching this episode a second time for this podcast is that... The big difference with the premiere is that it's a relatively static episode. It is a lot, but mostly what's happening is we're filling in gaps in the past and we're building up a lot of suspense in the present. And that doesn't add up to a lot of forward momentum in the way that hosts going on a rampage and killing people and Bernard and Charlotte going on a, a quest. I, could, I couldn't agree with you more. I think our producer Augie mentioned this to me as, when we were prepping for the show that I said last week that like if this se season is just a series of reveals, it's going to kind of be a letdown because I felt like that's what season one was for. We set it up. We'll get a few things in this season. But this episode was, I mean, it wasn't just a like 
all reveals, but there, but it was like every line that was said, especially in the flashbacks, literally every sentence it felt like was a, you know, metaphor for what was about to happen in the present tense of the show. Yeah, I don't necessarily mind the reveals. I actually really enjoy the exposition. One of the coolest things about this episode, I thought, was that it's really our first look at the, at the world outside the sure. park, which... It handles almost anticlimactically, but in a way I kind of enjoyed. You just get to soak in the ambiance and mm-hmm. pick out some details. My main issue is actually with the lack of reveals. It's with how much they hammer you over the head with the fact that there are reveals coming. Yeah. Like There are maybe six different separate occasions in this episode where someone says something to the effect of, people can do whatever they want in this park. <laughs> or can they? Yeah. And it's like, okay, we get it. They're collecting data. I'd much rather either get a reveal about what the data is doing or just have you continue to flesh out the dynamics between sure. these people in the past or just what this world is like. Yeah, Dolores, for her part, can't seem to construct a sentence without, this is the way things used to be, but now things are flipped on their head. You know, I mean, that's like everything that she says. One thing, and this is, a you know, a, a too big of an idea to really get into right now, but uh, the showrunners of, of Westworld, Nolan and Joy, as we lovingly refer to them, have a very, like, host-like quality to the way they tell stories. It's always, like, a couple of degrees off, to me, from, like, the real comfort that you get from watching a real— se- I'm not saying a seasoned showrunner in the sense that, like, they're not up to the task. It's just they're, like, a little bit outside the box. Their brains are working in different ways. And I—the the question I'm constantly wondering is, like, are they— like, did they think that they've told us enough that we're in China and that's not a question? Or are they leaving this reveal that, like, we're— on an alien planet that just happens to have Chinese signage and Chinese military, right? Like, I, I don't, I, it's hard, I, that uncertainty is sort of the abiding experience of watching the show, for better or worse. Yeah, and we should mention, like you said, the city is Chinese signage. It's very Blade Runner-esque. We're getting closer to a Blade Runner plotline with every passing day. We already have the cybernetic humans. Now mm-hmm. we have the, you know, vision of the future. I just think, like, one of the things that the episode does is that it plants seeds about the dynamic of Bernard takes, or sorry, Bernard Arnold takes Dolores on a tour of this home that he is constructing. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm moving my family here. I think my two fam- my two worlds basically yeah. need to at least be close to each other. Sure. So what he's implying is his actual family is like half a world away and he's going to move them closer, i.e. basically like in China, presumably, mm-hmm. or maybe Hong Kong, so that they can be close to this island off of China where Westworld presumably is. Yeah. What is interesting about that to me is not the physical reveal of where Westworld is. It's the dynamic between Bernard yes. and his family. 100% true. There's a lot of dynamic stuff. And that's why the big idea for this episode on this episode of Westworld The Recapables is introductions. Now, that's a, a broad term, but it's a, it takes into account all of those sorts of relationships that you were talking about. Also, the title of the show is Reunion, which is probably a vague Chopin reference, but, like, you know, it's about the coming together of characters, right? And we have a lot of big comings together, uh, introductions, and, you know, there's a lot of kind of meeting again for the first time that goes on in this episode. Um, It's The show starts off with us meeting... I mean, we've we've met Arnold before, but through season one, we didn't know we were sitting with Arnold, right? I mean, there was that there was an open question, but you know, I think they were they were leading us to believe that we were watching Bernard when, in fact, we were it was Arnold. So this is Arnold and Dolores together this season, 
um, in real time. I mean, not real time. But it's a flashback, but like spending time outside of the debriefing together. Under clarified circumstances. And that's another thing that I was really frustrated by. Like, we finally revealed that uh, this person we thought was Bernard debriefing Dolores is actually Arnold prepping her and developing mm-hmm. her. And finally, we get some real glimpses of what creating life means to Arnold, how he has this special connection. We have a disembodied Ford voice that's kind of giving him grief for not being fully focused on making this business pitch. Sure. I would really love to see this show spend a few more scenes developing that relationship and Arnold as a full character and not this yeah. person we've obliquely glimpsed. I don't really need to see William monologuing to young William. Yes. Yeah. N- neither do I. Um, you sounded kind of like a supervillain explaining like his mad plot to take over the world, but like if he was just explaining how he's going to break up with his high school girlfriend. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely had like a high school villain. Vibe. It was also one of those things that felt like they didn't fully trust Jimmy Simpson to carry the moment. Saying something like "You're just a thing," I can't believe I fell in love with you, is something that he should be able to communicate, and I think he can communicate. I think Jimmy Simpson's a good actor by just looking at her and the difference between like the way he looks at her now versus the way he looked at her in season one. That's not something you need to be spelled out in the script. Totally true. I mean, I think throughout the episode, we see a lot of people saying things when they mean the opposite. And that could have been one one of those things, too. But let's go through some of these introductions or or meetings or reunions that we have in this episode. Um, Logan meets the host for the first time. Uh, It's his first interaction with them. And we have He's there with, uh, you know, two people who he believes are representatives of the Argos Initiative. And I guess they are by that defi- by any definition. But it turns out they're not humans. They're hosts. He goes to the party. He thinks there's going to be one or two robots there. Turns out everybody there is a host. How did you feel about that reveal, about that scene? The old razzle-dazzle. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, one way to make a sales pitch. I mean, I just couldn't believe, like, his response to there are, like— human simulacra that are indistinguishable from the real thing was like, okay, orgy time. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. And even like, okay, I'm going to invest in your theme park time. One would think, and we'll get this, we'll get into this, you know, when we talk about Jim Delos later on, but when you're, when you're working out the, uh, the, the way to make money off of this, I don't think monetizing Westworld to the greatest degree makes, make particularly makes more sense than like, I can sell these robots to the highest military better or yeah, something. Yeah, it's know? a very weird, like, his reaction to, oh, there are, like, fake humans walking around is not, wait, but you're just building a theme park with them? Yeah. Like, that's kind of one of the, the, they're laying so many clues about the fact that Delos's interest in this is just to mine consumer data and, like, they could use it in a really cool way. But whenever they, like, way back in episode one when Teresa was like, this thing, this place means something really different to management. Yeah. I was like, oh, like, they want to take the plans to build the hosts and use them for some other Mm -hmm. weird purpose as opposed to, like, a Westworld or, like, a Western-themed park is something that a crackpot old genius like Ford would insist that you yeah. use the technology for. I thought they just wanted to get the technology away from him to sure. use it for something And that else. is part of the bigger storyline, but we'll see if it's, if there's, I mean, so far that this kind of second level has just been about data and we will talk about data later on. Yes. On the show. We had Dolores meeting or encountering Maeve as they go on their separate paths. This was a big, this was a big moment I think functionally, you know, they needed to sort of get Maeve in the show since she's like one of the three most important characters and she was not in it any other time. But she and Dolores with their respective crews of uh, hosts and humans 
squared off and sort of had a uh, intellectual debate. It was clear that this was the first time these people are going to meet. They're going to go on their separate ways. But this is, I mean, it felt like something out of a out of Lord of the Rings or something where it's like, for now, we'll pass in the night. Next time we meet, we're going to, like, bring out the lightsabers. It felt like they just needed it to clarify the dynamics between and contrast between mm-hmm. the two, which, again, I don't know if that was necessary. I think, you know, just watching the events of last season where Maeve starts out as this avenging angel and then she decides to be more maternal in her value system. Mm-hmm. And Dolores starts out like the sweet farmer's daughter and then she becomes this, you know, robot messiah. Like, I think all the the building blocks of that exchange were already in place. And I think as an intelligent viewer, I think so, you could. I think so, too. I think that the thing they probably need to clarify for um, a huge percentage of the viewers is that Dolores is a bad guy now. I mean, yeah. we're not fully there, but to set up that to set up that sort of rivalry is important because, you know, I think there's a large percentage of the viewing audience who Dolores could murder as many humans as she wants. And she's still sort of the, you know, the badass antihero, you know, and and. Um, I think that we're definitely going in a more severe direction with her narrative arc. I thought Dolores kind of was the good person in that discussion. I thought that Maeve still had a lot of her, I'm going to do my own self-interest, like she says to Sizemore, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm programmed to follow my own self-interest. And that was really what she was going with in that conversation. Dolores is asking her to be part of this, like, larger fight, like, you know, right. like Simone Bolivar, like, Liberador stuff. She's going to, like, liberate all the hosts, and Maeve's like, nah. Yeah, no, I think I think that there's definitely something to that, and I think they're going to play with those shades of gray throughout. But I think that the important thing, hero or villain, either way, was to set up that this is the tension at the center, uh, character-wise, at the center of the show now. That this is your, you know, in some sense, this is your light and dark, your good and evil, or just it's you know gray and gray, whatever. But this is, but I, but I do think that setup was important. The man in black met El Lazo. Unclear if he's met him before. It seemed like he was very aware of who he was when he walked up. Lawrence had been played the role of El Lazo in earlier iterations of Westworld. Now, our boy Giancarlo Esposito is playing the role. I don't think I'm violating the terms of my agreement with HBO to say that this was the thing they told us not to reveal when we were, if anyone was going to write pre, like re, like previews of the show. That's very flattering to Giancarlo Esposito, who I, I love. Right. Gus Fring is in the building, but I don't know if he's the kind of person, like the actor who, it's not like Matt Damon's cameo in Thor Ragnarok, you know, he's he's a TV actor. Yeah, spoiler alert for uh, anyone who hasn't seen Thor Ragnarok. Sorry, Sorry guys. Uh, no, I am so, first of all, I have not seen Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok, so thanks, Allison. But I am so pushing back here. That was the best moment. If you have seen Breaking Bad, I, like, got out of my seat and started freaking out that Gus Fring was in Westworld. That was, like, the best moment of the whole episode to me. I was so happy. It was nice. It was like a, oh. Was like, it wasn't oh, a, like, I guess oh, shit. I, I was like, oh, shit. I was like, Gus Fring is going to just do some stuff right this, now. This sort of goes into my abiding, my, like, overarching theory that the biggest unreliable narrators in the show are the showrunners. And I don't, and I spent too much time wondering if we this big reveal of Giancarlo Esposito was because he was going to be returning and playing a major role over the season, or if they just thought this was such a huge moment in season two, episode two, that we needed to keep this under wraps. His face is also shrouded in yeah. shadow, so yeah. I wasn't, it's not, first of all, it's not super clear that's who he is, and I also spent more time than I would care to admit scouring Google on his IMDb page to be like, am I crazy? Is that is that him? But it is. All right, um... Let's wrap up this this introduction section. Okay, we as the audience meet William's family and James Delos for the first time. Is there—this goes back to what you were saying originally about, like, 
how much of these flashbacks, the question of how many flashbacks are we going to get over the course of the season? But is there anything to be taken from William's wife, who we've previously seen in a in a crumpled photograph, William's daughter, who thinks Dolores is beautiful, or, you know, James Dallas in general? Like, are, are we, what, are, what can we expect from those people? I mean, what I'm taking away from it is that the Delos Corporation, a very sinister sounding name that <laughs> yes. sounds like it's this like fake classical Greek moniker is named after a guy named Jim Delos, yeah. who's also Scottish. Delos does not seem like a Scottish name for me, but... Peter Mullen, who is just one of my favorite people to come on screen, and was great on great in Ozark and Top uh, of the Lake. Top of the Lake, and he's he's really like enthralling actor, even if he's always sort of playing this mysterious villain. Uh, he's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Um, and for the record, Delos is an island off of Greece. Everything's an island off of Greece. Thank you. The last big introduction of this episode, and this is a little meta one, so uh, bear with me, was Teddy and Lawrence both getting introduced to their reality. Teddy, by virtue of looking at the magic iPad, and uh, Lawrence, through his conversation with Men in Black, are both confronted with the fact that they are not who they believe themselves to be and that there is a bigger world at play. This is something that I think the show doesn't, again, like I can't tell if Nolan and Joy think they have fleshed this out or the show is deliberately obscuring this, but the extent, the extent of the self-awareness of the hosts is often a little confusing to me. Maeve and Dolores are fully like, I am a host. I know what being a host is. I have seen the outside world. They Mm -hmm. are like the most unambiguously awake. But then you get these people like Lawrence hears the man in black's whole spiel about this revolution you've been fighting for is a lie. And actually there's this other revolution, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't get any sense that he was really like internalizing that. It seemed sort of like, oh, this guy's talking crazy. I'll just keep going along with him. It didn't seem like he really understood it. And then a lot of the hosts who are quote-unquote rebelling just seem to be programmed to see humans as other hosts. It doesn't appear that there's like a widespread recognition that, oh, "Oh, we are servants. The vast majority of hosts that are on Westworld in this, uh, you know, I'm going to keep saying present tense, even though we've seen a more present present tense in episode one. But in the present, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them that are still just they're, they are hosts. They have host brains. They're a little bit more extreme now because they're not tethered in by the, the rules that used to apply, but they certainly haven't awakened in any sense. But I think you're right. I mean, there is this this is going to be a question, and who knows if it'll be a significant one as to whether or not a conversation with a uh, open-minded host is enough to sort of explain to them and and let them understand what the real world is like. Um, with with uh, Lawrence in particular, you know, he was sort of like toggling back and forth between his pre-programmed talking points and some semblance of awareness. Now, maybe he again, he, like you said, he's just following along with the man in black and just sort of trying to keep keep up with the conversation. Or when he's saying like there was a great line, it was before he got the whole, you know, spiel. But when man in black asked him if he was a religious, if, if Ford had programmed him to be religious, he said, I just haven't thought much about that, I reckon, or something to that effect. And it was clear like that is a line, right? That is a. That is a pre-programmed response to a deep question that a human may ask a host, right? Um, So there's a lot of that. One of the best parts of season one to me was watching this extremely robotic actress who plays Maeve, Tandy Newton, and her transformation from this robot to, wow, she should win an Emmy. I think Lawrence is next. He's really great. What about Teddy? Teddy learned— through like a force download of, uh, you know, what that he had been. I mean, I guess what he learned was that he had died a million times and that the techs keep bringing him back to life. And that is a brain shatter, a consciousness shattering revelation. 
uh, he attacked the tech, but then he, you know, pulled off. And then uh, he's he's still very skeptical about Dolores's whole journey at this point, right? Yeah, poor Teddy. He's just not not a guy who gets a lot of wins. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was the, the Teddy's biggest moment of the week came at the confrontation between Dolores and Maeve when basically after Maeve says like, "Here's what I'm doing, and you can go, you know, but and you're gonna let me pass because we're both hosts, we're on vaguely the same side." Dolores is like, "Come fight with me." And there's at the very end, the camera kind of lingers on Teddy, who's sort of you can see him thinking, am I on the right? Am I on the right team here? I'm sure Teddy will become a more significant player in this season. Maybe not beyond this season, but we'll see. Allison, by the way, was the first person who pointed out that there was Teddy, dead Teddy floating in the water at the end of episode one when all, like literally every other Ringer employee had missed that. Yeah, so, we almost got that super wrong. <laughs> Trust me to spot a dead James Marsden. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it for the big idea this week. Now let's move on to the big questions. Now, the one we have to get to that feels a little bit pedantic, but it's going to be what everybody's talking about, is this data issue. This is the only place in the world where you get to see people for who they really are. And if you don't see the business in that, then you're not the businessman that I thought you were. In episode one, we got some insinuation of this, that this was going to be a narrative arc. And he it, testified in front of the Senate. And then <laughs> exactly. That's episode three. Oh, okay. and, then, and then in this episode, we have William making the sales pitch to Jim Delos. And his sales pitch is entirely like, we have people, in, like these, the, the humans that come to Westworld will be totally unguarded. They'll be, you know, indulging in all of their greatest wishes and fantasies. And we can collect this data. And... I don't know if it's just for targeted marketing or if it's for blackmail. Um, there's a lot of question about this. But, you know, it's interesting, if nothing else, because if this were a live show that they were writing every week and they wanted to make a commentary on Facebook, it wouldn't have been it couldn't have been more on the nose than what we're getting. So, you know, great timing on their part, great foresight. But. Uh, is this interesting to you? Well, this is another front where there wasn't a lot of forward momentum. Mm -hmm. Like, people picked up on this last week when there was the drone host harvesting pubes. And yeah. there was, you know, some evidence that, oh, like, this is what was downloaded onto Peter Abernathy. This is what De Delos is in this for. Like, we already knew they were collecting data. This week, we just get, like, oh, they've been in on this from the start. Mm -hmm. We get some even more on the news, on the nose hints that this is what's happening it was just a little frustrating to be like, okay, we, we were already asking this question. All this episode is doing is being like, yes, this is the question you should be focused on. Yeah. But I, we don't get a lot more than that. And I think we, we keep coming back to it. As a narrative technique, if this was the sort of download of information, like the, the Peter, Peter Abernathy getting all the info uploaded into his body, whatever, that we are getting as viewers, then, I, then I'm willing to forgive it. If the season proceeds with this sort of like, static reveal, it, it's going to be a little bit slow going. Also, just as like a business strategy, if you're going to harvest data <laughs> and use it for blackmail, you can kind of only do that once. Like once people figure out that they're actually being watched at Westworld, Westworld won't exist anymore. So they got to be doing something big. But well, we yeah, I mean, there, Westworld, I mean, Westworld not existing anymore is like the overall theme of this episode, too. So maybe maybe they all knew it was a limited time offer. Jim Dulles, for his part, was seemed to be dying at the end of his. I mean, during his retirement party, he was portentously coughing. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was very clear. My immediate feeling was that that William was somehow poisoning him or something like that because he 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 made it clear in, at the end of season one that he was going to 
make it so no one believed Logan anymore. And then we see Logan in this episode is like strung out on the porch. Who knows if it was, you know, William giving him the smack that got him to that state. But uh, it feels like William is is certainly pulling the strings uh, at the Dallas Corporation. I'm extremely jealous you came up with that theory. That, oh, that he's being poisoned? I think that's dead on. All right, well. But like, we'll does see. it matter? I don't, I'm not sure like, that it matters. That's the <laughs> thing. My, but that's my mind is jumping to all these like little micro theories. It's the big. We'll get into some of the bigger theories later on in the show. All right. That's enough for data for right now. I'm sure it's something we'll come back to. The next big question of the episode, where have, the next two big questions, where have we been and where are we going? Let's start with where have we been. Looks like the stars have been scattered across the ground. Have you ever seen anything so full of splendor? For the flashbacks overall, is there anything that we that we haven't talked about that we've learned that we learned from seeing? I mean, this is what thirty five years ago that I guess is placing us in time. We now know a little bit about the Arnold Dolores relationship, or we've seen it in practice. Like, what what did we learn with the with that and with the man and I mean with William and everything else? I actually have another question, which is just do it, Danny. You might be able to answer this. The timeline of Arnold dying versus everything that's happening with William and Logan. Like mm-hmm. Arnold is. Theoretically, when he says, like, they'll dazzle them anyway in the in the first scene, Arnold is talking about engineering this show of strength, basically, for um, for Logan. So Arnold is still alive then. Is he still alive during the William Logan scenes from last season? Does he die after that? that I, I, that's the big... Okay, so I, I, I made a rough outline of the sort of Delo, the Delos timeline that we have so far, based on this episode, mostly. Um... Season two, episode two, this epi- you know the reunion. The, the first scene and where they're in the suite or whatever, it's Arnold and, and Dolores. That is the the furthest back thing we have. Then Logan has the host party where he decide has the orgy and decides to invest. Then after that is everything that happened in season one with Logan and William. They go to Westworld. They experience it firsthand. Uh, after that is. From back to this episode, William and and Jim Dellis on Main Street talking about their business model, then the Jim Dellis retirement party, and then, um, you know, the last, the very end of this episode with William and Dolores sort of sightseeing on uh, on in, in Westworld. That's their that's that's the end. Now, what you ask, Allison, is, uh, I think, still very much the question, right? I mean, when when William and Logan are having their first season experience in Westworld, I'm think it, we we know for sure that there are other guests there are other humans in Westworld right i mean it's not they're not just getting a soft opening preview um i but it's unclear when arnold uh has triggers del- the Wyatt suicide right. and also when the timing of the arnold dolores debrief scenes from last season relative to this season was sure. that before he takes her for the demo? Is that after? I think that it's, I think that if I had to guess, and I'm sure this will be cleared up at some point, if I had to guess, I would say that Arnold has not yet had the Wyatt suicide thing because it makes sense from what we, what we learned about Ford at the end of last season. He might have actually paused on the whole whole Westworld thing if it had just been him and Arnold, but it, but we kind of need Delos there to be like, you're not stopping. We're going to start making money off of this thing. So I would think that like they'd already invested by the time that Arnold uh, pulled pulled his Wyatt thing. As much as I love the show and I will always defend it, I concede that I am frustrated that they just dedicated an entire episode to massive flashbacks to fill all these answers uh-huh. in, and it's still extremely confusing. In the yeah, <laughs> and to clarify, this is. 
you know, just to double down on like my hater position here. It's these are <laughs> not questions right. where I'm like, oh, it's so interesting they're bringing this up. It's just like there are basic things about the story I would like to know to understand the character yes. dynamics and the events that the show is either not interested in answering, is deliberately not in answering, just never thought to answer, and that is frustrating to me. I, I yeah, I, I don't disagree, and I think that the the mystery that we set out that, that they laid out in episode one of season two was interesting. What happened? in the two weeks between the host uprising and when you know Carl Strand and crew landed on the beach like that's that's in it like that's a good that's a very good manageable mystery for a season of television yes. and I'm interested for them to get back there next week all right we're going to talk about now where are we going and it's sort of a literal question on the one hand Dolores is going to the valley beyond the man in black is going to uh, the place of judgment or his worst mistake whatever looking for the door he's playing the game but he's sort of going in inward while Dolores is going outward. But there's this bigger conversation about stakes, and there was a literal conversation about stakes in this episode <laughs> when uh, the man in black and El Lazo were having their conversation, and El Lazo goes on a sort of metaphorical little uh, journey through a, a tale from his childhood about an elephant who was just staked to the ground, and even though he could easily rip it out, they don't because the elephants, when they're babies, can't get away and they never try again. And certainly this is uh, symbolic for you know, the journey of the hosts, but also, I think, to some extent, William's journey inward. Um, but there's also this big question about stakes on in in the, sh- the television show Westworld. Like, when you see William's daughter for the first time and she's telling Dolores that she's beautiful, how much are we supposed to care about this daughter? Like, we don't know if she's significant to the plot. So that was a lot that I just did. That was a big download, but like let's let talk let's talk it through. I think William and Man in Black is a really good like locus for that conversation. I one of the most frustrating things about this episode to me was the Man in Black storyline. He's basically doing the exact same thing he was doing all of last season, mm-hmm. just with a theoretically different destination. But we know we're not going to get there probably for ten episodes. I hope the show proves me wrong. Yeah, but just watching him, you know, speak in cryptic pronouncements, rescue Lawrence, go on like a quest, go to Pariah again. It's just like you're right. This is literally the same frame last season, and because they need to obscure his motivations and goals for the purpose of stringing us along like we don't actually know that anything is that different and it's just really really frustrating to watch that story and it it makes going back to the stakes thing that you said it means like I don't know what I'm supposed to be investing in this yes I mean I certainly that like William's story is I mean we we know that we've been told that the difference is now this game is for him and that there are stakes in the show and that he's actually like this is a game that Ford has constructed for this whole purpose of William or the man in black's you know, enjoyment on Westworld as it's burning to the ground. But yeah, you do get the feeling that like his actual motivation is going to be revealed eventually, like through a flashback that will then become very relevant in the next scene in, in him with him in the, you know, present day. Or yeah, like the difference between this game is not for you and you will find that this game is for you is like, different words. Right. It's not it's fun- an actual different ex- experience. Functionally for us as viewers and for Williams, I mean, the Man in Black storyline, there's very little difference. Let's talk about it literally, though. Uh, <laughs> Dolores is headed for uh, glory, the valley beyond, as as Teddy says, there's a lot of different words for the same thing. Um, she's talking about, I mean, all this, all of these words um, are, are references to heaven in the kind of colloquial sense. But it seems like she's talking about going into the outside world. Is that a safe assumption? Yes. 
Um, so the so the so like the heaven of hosts is reality outside of Westworld. That's where we're all. That's the promised land. Which, by the way, not the only uh, Moses reference in the show. Daniel hit on that later. And then the man in black simultaneously is going to the place of judgment, which you know a, a, a different part of the afterlife, the, the kind of opposite end of the spectrum. But at the end of the show, Lawrence asks him where it is, what what, what what this place is, and he's called. And the man in black says it was my worst mistake. He created it, and um, he's calling it his worst mistake. Is it safe to assume just because of the juxtaposition at the end of the show that what the thing that he created is the thing that he shows Dolores in the last flashback that he's building that with these giant cranes or whatever they are? Is this is this what, what he's talking about? That was my assumption for sure. And I think this show condensing and merging plots is probably for the best. I also think like if the man in black's quest is the same as Dolores's and it's going to take us further out into the world and, and you know, within these parks that Dallas, Dallas has constructed. Like, I legitimately am looking forward to seeing Shogun World and yeah. whatever the other four parks that we know of that exist are. Like, if that's where this is going, definitely excited for that. That's my heaven. That's my valley beyond is samurai. I just want samurais and katanas. And <laughs> that's all I care about. Um yeah, and as soon as you get that, you're going to be begging for something else. You're going to be like <laughs> talking about race car world. Non-stop. It's the folly of of humankind. We Man, always want more. Man in Black and Dolores both are speaking in just the most indirect language they can possibly muster throughout the course of the episode. But one of the things that the Man in Black says is that he has received his judgment and he's appealing the verdict. What does that mean? Like not in a like, oh, what does that mean? Just like, what does that mean? Ugh. That was that was not my favorite moment in this episode. There's Just, al- there's also talking about the man in black. Is that there's him talking about the world, the place is going to burn down. Basically, when he's having the the confab with Lawrence in the in the cantina, he's like, the world's going to end. We're all going to die. But in the meantime, we have a little journey to go on, and we we get to the, the opportunity to become a glimpse of the men we could have been. Um, I guess. The, the, between that and then there's the, the in the flashback scenes, Logan was talking about how the world is coming to it. Like that that whole party was people celebrating into the world, whether they knew it or not. I, presumably because the hosts were going to replace humans eventually. Um, what about what, what about this overriding pessimism? What about what about the, you know this end of end of days sort of theology that's permeating the show? Is this are we headed towards some great catastrophe, or is this just a was it just one? episodes philosophical parallel well i doubt the world's literally going in because then there wouldn't be a show but i do think an accurate reading of the basic you know premise of the park being fundamentally disrupted and everyone shooting everyone is you know i don't i don't know if this theme park's going to be around much longer (laughs) (laughs) i think they're gonna they're gonna come in and tamp us down and uh we're not gonna make money anymore Yeah, that's. Uh, I think. I think that's that, that's uh, the good way. A good way of looking at it. That's the last of the big questions. We we talked about stakes, and we'll we, you know we'll keep coming back around to this at the show. I got to say, Man in Black. Some of those I I love Ed Harris so much, and he's I'm sure I, I have to do the ranking, but he's probably my favorite actor in the show. It's my favorite. You know, I love what he's done, what he's doing with this character. He's just, just so. I don't know everything he said. Like I want him to say vague things. I want him to like leave me asking more. Dolores, on the other hand, I mean she's she's over the top right now, and I think she's going to balance out. But the way that she's just like teasing this great uprising to come, or the way that I mean she's sort of like your friend who 
has Westworld screeners and is telling you things with about the show, saying she's not going to spoil anything, but in fact she's just spoiling everything. You know, it, it, it's a, it's just it, it's a little bit too much right now. But that's it for the big questions. Now let's move on to this week's big awards. The award of the first award of the week for the biggest, most shocking reveal. Allison, who's your winner? It's the outside world. It's that we, you know, see the first shot and we're in some other cityscape and we're, you know, we don't end up getting too much of that. Yeah. But I still think it's really cool that the show is finally broadening a little bit and we're going to start getting a little more details about how this works and how the world is outside of Westworld that makes people want to to go there and what kind of technology there is. Sure, I can't wait, frankly, I mean, till you know, Reddit gets its hands on this episode and we can see them, like, you know, screen-grabbing the cityscape and, and figuring out where in the world we are, if anywhere. Um, you know, there's a lot of wacky theories about the, about the location here, and I honestly thought in episode one, this is my weekly mea culpa, that, like, the existence of the military man speaking Chinese on the bench was Nolan and Joy kind of putting that whole question to rest you know like we're just like we're in china let's move on this episode we have more chinese we have chinese signage outside of the building they're in um but you know and when it's i have no idea if this was hong kong or something like that but it seemed to me like it was even now they've reopened the question right like we're giving you just enough to believe it's china and they're gonna pull the rug out from under us at some point in the future yeah and again I'm less interested in like physically where are we but if we are off the south china sea like they can terraform to make the American Southwest mm-hmm. in tropical climates. Like, that's cool. That's interesting. That's totally true. For me, the biggest reveal of the week was the at the very end, William's building project, um, where he takes Dolores after treating her very creepily uh, on a tour and shows her this grand thing he's building, which, uh, as we said earlier, uh, presumably, presumably parallels him, his worst mistake or his greatest mistake that he talked about in the show. We have no idea what he's building, um, but you know it was only on screen for a very brief time. But it, but it was a, it was a, um, it was a lingering brief glimpse, if that makes any sense. I mean, it was a static shot of this building project occurring, and I presume. Uh, it, it wasn't a reveal in the sense that we know what it is, but it was certainly a reveal in the sense that we know that um, William has more of a hand in, um, you know, the back end of Westworld than we were given credit. I mean, than we were given uh, to believe before. He's in the CMS. Yeah, exactly. He's 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 building this stuff. And we'll talk about that that scene um, in just a minute too. award number two for the week for best quote, best line of the show. Allison, what's your pick? I'm not a fan of all the purple prosy, very <laughs> abstract, very elusive kind of stuff that goes on. Yeah, so. because you I mean, I said this last week, the, the quote of the week could be a monologue every week or, you know, it could just be like, here is the here is what like Dolores is five minutes, because that's what they want. The most important. That's what they're they're signaling that. So, so what's your pick? I went with the total opposite, which is one of the most direct kind of funny, just cool lines, which is just Dolores saying, you're right. We have toiled in God's service for too long enough, so I killed him. Which is just, 
I like that she has kind of gone from being the least aware character in the show and the most fragmented because last season she was split up over all these different timelines and we couldn't know about that. So she didn't really make sense and Mm -hmm. not only didn't have agency, but just wasn't coherent as a character we were observing. And now she's like the complete opposite of that. She knows more than anyone else in the show. And so anything with her just being a badass, like... I know the entertainer thing last week where she's just shooting people is kind of cheesy. Oh, I loved but it. Yeah. Like, give me the cheesy, I, like, I super— I totally agree. I want Dolores to be clear and straightforward in everything that she says. Now, I understand why she has this sort of, you know, metaphorical lilt to her voice and, and to all of her dialogue because, you know, this is sort of the character that she was programmed to play because she learned everything she knows from Arnold, who cannot seem to state a direct fact to save his life. Um, but like I, when she, that line that you picked, we've toiled in God's service long enough. So I killed him is, was incredible. My choice was also uh, a pretty direct statement that was not deeply significant to the plot of the show, but I think sort of, uh, is a little bit representative. It's at Jim Dallas's retirement party when, um, Jim walks in, notices that Dolores is playing the piano and he's sort of like, so you brought the, the hosts to my party. That's really cute. And William's like. Uh, yeah, you know, we wanted to do it up for you, whatever. But then as they're as they're kind of walking away from Dolores, William says, hey, don't worry, they won't leave the grounds, um, which is just sort of like, hey, you know, like we've got these people programmed, but it's such a great like, I mean, of all of the of all of the sort of forced parallels between the flashbacks and the present tense in this week's episode, that one just made me laugh because them leaving the grounds is what the entire show is about right now. That's what they call foreshadowing in the biz. It's foreshadowing, but it's happening at the same time. So it's sort of just like shadowing. Shadowing. (laughs) Um, That's that's the thing with these multiple timelines. All right. Danny, did you have a quote? Oh, yeah. I mean, when he walks up to Lawrence and he saves him and cuts him down from that tree and he's like, the guy jumps on him. He's like, oh, I thought he was dead. And he's like, dead wasn't what it used to be, Lawrence. Yeah. My favorite line from that scene, I, I, I used it in reference to you earlier in the show. I thought it was, it was, again... Hit, like just hitting you right in the face when they said uh, the Pardue brothers looked at Lawrence hanging upside down. He's like pointing at the man in black. Hey, is this guy a friend of yours? And he said, I don't know. It's a little bit hard to tell given the orientation. And clearly he's the implication. He's, he's handing upside, hanging upside down. He can't tell. But this is just the show saying um, the man in black may no longer be a bad guy. Also, don't forget or, the last like, time. We don't, know, we don't know what our relationship is because everything has changed now. Also, don't forget the last time Lawrence was hanging upside down. Uh, the man in black slit his throat and drained his blood into a bucket so he could put it into Teddy. Yeah. So it's a very hard to tell for Lawrence. That's <laughs> a rough life for that guy. All right. <laughs> our third and final award for the week. The weekly This Maze Was Not Meant For You Award for the Dumbest Human on this week's episode of Westworld. Allison, who you got? We touched on this earlier. But when you are confronted with some of the most terrifying existential questions a human being can contemplate, who am I? What is consciousness? Is our dominance over every living, living being going to continue in perpetuity? Your response should not be, but can I fuck it for the thing that is causing you to have all these questions or not, I gather, in the case of Logan, who is my real LVP of the week. Come on, dude. (laughs) Um, I totally agree with that. I think Logan is undeniably the winner here. Danny, do you have a selection for this one? Uh, I think Logan is the winner, not for that actual reason, though. I have the first thing he says in this episode is, quote, what's the point of a $60 million Warhol if I can't look at it while I fuck it? (laughs) Um, There are a lot of points. But I have two questions. Does Logan own 
the Andy Warhol Campbell suit painting? And if so, is that what he's looking at while he's having sex now? That's a great question. Because that's what you're looking at? I mean, he does say, I'll show you where I hang the Rothko, which good to know Mark Rothko is holding up well into the like 23rd century or wherever we are. Yeah, how far we are into the future is another mystery of the show, but one that we need to spend zero time talking about. My winner, I think that you're, you, you picked the right winner, but just for the sake of variety, my winner for uh, Dumbest Human of the Week goes to that dude from Delos— his, the actor's name is Christopher May. The, the role is uncredited. I last week said he was a Burt Lara-looking dude. Um, so we're just going to call him the Cowardly Lion until he gets a real name in this show. Uh, I think that the role fits him pretty well. Where he just, like, like he can't help... Um, he can't stop himself from exposition when he should just be trying to save his own life. You know, I mean, it's he's just he he he. Last week he went after the he approached the dune buggy when it was a clear trap. This week he's like he led Dolores and Angela to the underground lair where they're like re- re- rehabbing the the hosts, and that certainly made her um, march towards the valley beyond. I mean, that was a huge step in that. He's he in trying to escape her wrath. He is basically ensuring that her wrath will fall upon everybody in the world. Um, yeah, Dallas Corporation, not not run by the brightest of folks. No, no, but that's cool. I mean, they're all. I mean, it's funny that like episode one, there was a lot of sort of Dallas red shirts, and now we have. I I, I have a feeling that we're going to be seeing Mister Cowardly Lion in like every episode. Just like the stru- the, sh- the season's going to be structured around him running into rooms and being like, "Holy shit, the hosts have taken over!" And then like the, everything proceeds from there. Um, but that was, I guess, timeline wise, we we talked about that a lot. It was right really after confusing. The episode that. We, I mean, this is what we believe to be true. He he walked into the ambush, but then Angela let him go, um, and then killed everybody else. And then at the end of ep- season one, I mean, the end of episode one, Angela rides up to Dolores and Teddy and was like, "Come on, guys, I have to show you something." Um, what, what we what we are assuming now is that she's like, "I let this guy go, and he ran to an underground laboratory. Let me take you there." And that's how they got in, and now they have their. Uh, lab tech buddy who is going to bring people back to life for them. That and poor guy. Also strong contender for LVP when Teddy is like, hey, why do you murder me all the time? His answer is just for fun, which like <laughs> at least at least plead like it's my job. You you have like at least a little bit of an excuse. Don't just be like, yeah, we we're murdering you for jollies. No, like, I'm hard with that guy. That was the honest answer. And in that position, like when your little throat is against the wall, honesty is much better than like deferring to like, you know, some poor like Nuremberg. I think you're actually, the, you've been proven right in this because it wasn't him that got his face dipped in the white burning ooze. Yeah. Some, someone else got the torture. Um, we have to wrap this show up before we get out of here. Danny, uh, it's time for the reality check. What are, what, what kind of, uh, what, what are the minutia that you uncovered in this show? The theories that are undergirding the show? What, 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 what did you notice this week? Some minutia foreshadowing theories. Arnold, in the very beginning, says, welcome to our world, not the real world, uh, as many other people do. Dolores says, a strange new light can be just as frightening as the dark. That's a reference to the spotlight she always sees, but also kind of reference to Plato's allegory of the cave. On their nighttime stroll through the city, Dolores and Arnold walk by a sign in Chinese that says Space 47. Who knows what that means? The hosts who approach Logan about investing in Delos say they are with the Argos Initiative. In Greek mythology... Perseus was the king of Argos. Perseus killed Medusa 
And Perseus also waded through the labyrinth to kill the Minotaur, which is half man, half bull. Opening credits. Ants. They brought up ants again in this episode. Lawrence is when he's hanging upside down in the over the anthill. One of his tormentors, the party brothers, says, ants will eat a man from the inside out, starting from the asshole. I reckon they'll start from the top of your pretty head. Remember in episode one, Bernard says, host communicates subconsciously like ants. And again, ants and humans are the only two species we know that wage war. Logan says of his father that he would, quote, would not know the future if it slapped him in his bare white ass. That sounds like foreshadowing to me. Speaking of foreshadowing, Dolores and Angela post-orgy made eye contact for like three seconds as Angela was getting dressed. It was like it lingered and it seemed to foreshadow some conflict between them. Uh, and then do you guys remember Ford's like old drinking buddy, good old Bill, who was like, oh, let's drink to the lady with the white shoes. Uh-huh. You know who's wearing white shoes in this episode? Dolores playing piano at that at the James Delos's retirement party. And then uh, musical cues. Did you guys speaking of timely? Did you guys catch Runaway? By Kanye playing. <laughs> Did we catch it? Oh, Could was it too not? on the nose? Oh, oh it was. <laughs> I that they, that got my blood pumping. Uh, and then some more tinfoil hat stuff. The rock formation that young William in the flashback and Dolores are staring at uh, as they're doing construction. Those kind of look like if they were covered under a bunch of water. That they kind of look like the rocks that are jutting out from the sea at the end of episode one, which... Where all the hosts are floating dead. Yeah. It kind of looks like that's that same place, just underwater. Very very similar, yeah. Uh, Which is... Go Google it. It's interesting. And then this is my real, like, tinfoil hat. If you want a penny stock of a theory. Young William and James Delos, when they helicopter into Westworld, uh, Delos says that fixing Westworld's books will be, like, quote, like parting the Red Sea. That is extremely (laughs) intentional. My theory is... Dolores is going to part that sea. Like, very literally, she's going to physically part that mystery sea from episode one. We talked about uh, we talked about Moses earlier. I think that there, 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 there were not light on the religious references in season one, and uh, presumably that's season two is no different. Allison, you have any thoughts? I mean, I just assumed it was like Red Sea, like a sea of red, <laughs> like they're in a lot of debt, but— Maybe it's just Josh know. Rosen. Yeah, yeah. That, another, another present <laughs> reference. Um— all right. Are there any? This is the first week where we've had where we have like the internet has been reacting to episode one. I have not been paying attention. I had a really busy week. As much as I love Westworld Reddit, are there any great theories from episode one that we need to touch on before we before we say g- goodbye? There is one that has captured the imagination of Reddit that I will do my best to say concisely. But basically, it's that Delos is aware that Bernard is a host. And that he is some kind of— We're talking about the present tense with Carl Strand and everything else. Carl Strand, Charlotte Hale, they all know that Bernard is a host. Uh, Now, basically, this basically boils down to when he just—they just find him on the beach, just collapsed, and they don't offer him any water, any food, medical attention. They're like, hey, just get in this car and go talk to people. And, like, you'd think that they'd offer him something to help. Uh Uh, So the idea is— what if there's some information that Bernard has in his mind about what's gone on the last two weeks, mm-hmm. but his, his brain's too corrupted that they can't actually just cut his head open and access it? So they're just kind of walking him through the same loop and trying to trigger his memories to basically figure out what the hell has been happening. Wow. The, uh, so the now, whole thing is a put on to try to get him to remember. So I think this is nuts, except for the thing that convinced me that this might be true, is when they're in that secret underground lab and they're like the robot voice is just reading off all the lists that is wrong with him. Uh One of them is a condition where you cannot recognize faces. 
And so the most convincing part of this theory is that all those drone hosts, <laughs> all those drone hosts <laughs> underground are uh, not actually drone hosts. They are actually other Bernards. They're actually they people. Or they could be looking, anybody. Yeah, but they look exactly like him, but he can't see them because it will hurt him. So he actually just sees them as like those skinless things, but they're actually just copies of him. I will say, if that's true, it would go a long way towards explaining why no one seems to recognize like is there no extant photo of Arnold the co-founder of this entire park <laughs> has no one noticed that Bernard just hasn't aged for 31 whatever years like the whole idea that not only is Bernard a host but like no one around him knows it really did like beggar belief upon reveal so I'm actually it made not... sense within the context of season one if it was just like he never really leaves the lab you know, he's yeah. just he's just like he's just Ford's buddy or, you know, he's Ford's assistant. But you're right. I mean, as the as the world expands, it does seem sort of crazy. Um, all right. It goes a lot deeper, though. I want to <laughs> I want to get more into this. We should just have a second episode every week where we just talk about insane Internet theories. Thank you guys so much for doing this, Allison. Thank you for doing three recapables episodes in one week. <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening again. Thank you, Danny and Allison, for being on the show. Thanks to Augie in the back. We will see you back here next week on Westworld The Recapable. Our theme song was made by our friends at songfinch.com. Check out Songfinch to turn your stories, memories, and feelings into a -a one-of-a-kind song by professional musicians. It makes the perfect gift for any occasion. songfinch.com. 